Net-A-Porter presents The Incredible Women Podcast, Series 4, The Disruptors. Hi, Michelle, how are you? Yeah, so nice to meet you. And you. We were actually discussing our favourite Netflix dramas. <laughs> Ooh, okay, which, what's your favourite? Welcome to the new series of The Incredible Woman Podcast. In this season, we are talking to women who are challenging the status quo campaigning for positive change and forging their own paths in their own careers. From rebels and mavericks to modern leaders, these are the inspiring women of today and tomorrow. I'm Kay Barron and I'm very excited to be joined by Michelle Lee, Global Vice President of Editorial and Publishing at Netflix and award-winning former editor-in-chief of Allure magazine for this episode of the Disruptor podcast. First things first, Michelle is a publishing guru. Starting her career in 1997 as an intern at Glamour magazine in New York, she quickly moved up through the ranks as a writer, editor and chief marketing officer before joining Allure in 2015. Alongside her impressive Netflix title, Michelle describes herself on Instagram as a skincare, nail art and highlighter aficionado. But during her time at Allure, Condé Nast's premier beauty title, Michelle did more for the way we set beauty standards and the way we see ourselves than just through makeup and a really good moisturiser. She totally revolutionised it. She banned the phrase anti-aging from the pages and placed emphasis on diversity. And since July 2021, she has turned her attention to Netflix, moving to LA to lead their content platforms. And I can't wait to hear how she plans to revolutionise them too. So welcome, Michelle. I am delighted you're joining me from LA today. We obviously consider you to be an incredible disruptor. But what does the word mean to you? And would you have described yourself as one? I think to me, a disruptor is someone who is constantly challenging the status quo. Someone who is an innovator and ultimately, I think, a risk taker. The funny thing is other people have asked me about risk and other things, too. And as a, you know, when, as a young girl growing up, I never on a personality level would have thought of myself as a risk taker. I think I was someone who kind of did like safety and comfort and being cozy at things. Uh, But for whatever reason, when I grew up and started to work and especially got more confidence around stories and storytelling and other things, I would consider myself to be a risk taker. And so part of that is being educated enough about what you're doing, about culture, about what you think is going to do well, and having that confidence and the bravery to sometimes just jump off a cliff and not know what's on the other side of it. When I really do think about what I was able to accomplish, um, especially in the past 10 years, it is, it's, it's pretty amazing. And I'm, I'm incredibly proud of the work that I've done, the work that my team has done. Um, and the fact that we were able to, through beauty at Allure specifically, the fact that we were able to actually shift culture globally on certain certain situations and certain topics, um, I do think is really disruptive. And it's it's been very cool to look back at my career and, and think about the changes that have been made. And I wanted to quote you, actually, because in your parting statement from Allure, you said, I think we've truly shifted the way people look at and talk about beauty. We spark change on topics like race and ageing and sustainability and equality. We help to move culture, and that's no small feat. So if you think back to, I mean, I know that you said that um, just last year, but during your time from 2015, we were in a very different place when it came to beauty standards and how magazines um, portrayed it. So how, how did you go about doing that? And did you face any barriers? 
Yeah, it's really interesting because like you said, back in 2015, 2016, it's easy for us to forget now because on magazine covers and media and other things, we are seeing this awesome wave of diversity. It was so not that way when I was first starting out. And especially when I think back about the very beginning of my career, you know, more than 20 years ago, still magazines back then, women's magazines had cover lines that were about, you know, lose 20 pounds in 15 days. Um, it was a very different time that I came up. And so while I was still interviewing for the job at Allure, I did a little presentation for my future bosses about here's what my strategy would be. Here's what I would want to change. And so it was a great exercise to do. I think I finished it in maybe a week, but I just did this deep dive exercise into what is beauty. It went back to that core principle of how is beauty seen right now? But ultimately, when I really, really dig deep into it, what actually is beauty? And so I think still to this day, unfortunately, fashion and beauty sometimes are seen as very frivolous, right? We think about it as it's products, it's only, you know, the way that you look and how vain if you, if you care about those things. But actually, if you think about what beauty truly is, it's incredibly deep. It's very tied to so many different social and cultural things, it's gender, it's race, it's skin color, it's it's body, it's, it's so many different things that we talk about on a daily basis. And so as I started to define for myself, what is beauty? It started to open up this whole other door of what it could be. I also, um, you know, as an Asian American woman, growing up, I grew up in a very, very not diverse town. And I saw myself a certain way. And so I don't think I realized until well into adulthood how that actually affected how I saw myself and how I saw the world. And so one of the bullet points I remember that I had on this strategy deck was diversity. And I said, I think that I can make a real impact here on making sure that people are seeing a whole wealth of people on the pages and on their website and social media and everything. And so from there, it was a big job to do because again, this was not something that was done. Um, I started to realize that it was a whole ecosystem that had to come about with that too, that it was celebrities, it was models, it was changing so many different things. And so my first year that I was at Allure, I did not change things right away. I think that I, when I look back on it, I was a little timid, I think, at wanting to change things overnight. Like I wanted there to be a slower progression of changes so people didn't feel like, oh my gosh, what is this right away? Looking back, I think I would have done things differently now of where I think there's something about ripping off the Band-Aid, right? And making those changes. We didn't really hit our stride until I would say maybe like late 2016, early 2017. But when we did, it was really just life-changing. Was there a moment when you particularly knew it was working and changing? Um, One of the big moments was we did this great cover um, called The Beauty of Diversity. And we had three women of color on the cover. We had a a dark skin model on there as well, which again, at the time, you really didn't see on magazine covers. And what I loved about that was that the cover story in a typical, uh, you know, magazine cover story, you would have an interview of the three models. They'd be talking about their careers and all those things. And those are wonderful stories sometimes too. But what we did instead was we interviewed 41 women of color in fashion and beauty, talking about racism, colorism, stereotypes, um, and the challenges that they were facing. And what I loved about the story was that it didn't pull any punches. There were moments in there that were really, truly ugly on a human level, that the horrible things that people have gone through, 
this was again, like pretty groundbreaking, I think for a mag, a women's magazine cover story to go there. And it did so well. I had people sending me letters and, and DMs and stuff saying, I never in a million years thought that in my lifetime, I would see this. Look at, look at magazines now. You just have to look on the shelves at any airport. And I think you should be incredibly proud because you're obviously such a huge part of that. Thank you. Well, I think the other thing is that success begets success, right? And so unless someone is the first to do it and to show, hey, this works, other people are sometimes scared to take that first step and do it. And so the same thing goes for movies, for uh, for books and other things. And so I've been super proud to be any part of this movement of where the door has now been open, where you see it with certain movies where it's like, it's this amazing diverse cast, and then it opens the door to other amazing diverse casts. And so now I mentioned that ecosystem before of where it's modeling agencies, it's celebrities, it's other things. And so we're starting to see this whole ecosystem being built around having more diversity in a lot of different ways. And it's it's wonderful to see. And what was it that drew you to publishing in the first place? I mean, you started you started as an intern, and I love reading stories like that. It's like, you know, how, how many of us started our careers. Um, and obviously you've worked, you know, up the ranks in that time. But I mean, what was it that you thought, okay, this is, that's what I want to do? Funnily enough, I, I until my sophomore year of college, I had no clue what I wanted to do. I, for the longest time when I was a kid, when people would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would say I wanted to be a baker. And it's not that I'm a good baker. For some reason, I was just like, that sounds really fun. And so up until, like I said, middle of college, I had no clue. And so at some point I chose to go into specifically magazine journalism because I loved reading magazines. And so then it was like this moment of where, you know, when you see a movie sometimes and someone's whole past flashes before their eyes, it was like that moment of where I went, whoa, it all actually really makes sense. And I had this memory of being in fifth grade and I started a magazine and you know what I mean? It's like, there's just these moments in your life where I'm like, okay, all of this actually really makes sense to me. I'm a naturally very curious person. I think that's first and foremost. I do love telling written stories. Um, I don't consider myself to be a great like verbal storyteller. Like there are those amazing people who you imagine them sitting in front of the campfire and telling great stories. I'm not a great verbal storyteller. I'm a great written word storyteller though. And so I think what publishing gave me was this really great outlet to tell stories and to be able to be creative and have these ideas, but also still feed that curiosity that I had. When you did get to Allure and obviously the the years that you spent there, was there one moment that you were like, okay, this is what I want to remember my time for or be remembered for my time here? I think the moment that I'm proudest of is probably um, 2017. We won Adweek's Magazine of the Year and I was named Editor of the Year. And so I actually remember this is such a weird story. I, one of our cats had gotten scared in the middle of the night and scratched, jumped on me. (laughs) I was asleep, jumped on me and scratched my eye. And so I took the day off of work because I had this horribly swollen eye. And so I was sitting in bed feeling really bad for myself. And I get a phone call from the editor of Adweek who I've, I've known for a while. And she wanted to tell me that, uh, you know, we had won magazine of the year And then there was a pause and she said, and I want you to know, you just won editor of the year. I, with this giant swollen eye, I'm just sitting, I remember so clearly sitting in bed, weeping, (laughs) just weeping because it's obviously wonderful to win awards. It's not why we do what we do though, but it was, it came at a moment when 
there had been just so much uncertainty, I think, about are we doing the right thing? Like, are we moving in the right direction? Because it was brand new. And so to have that outside validation of people are recognizing what it is that we're doing and they're really liking it, it just meant so much to me, I think, because it had been so much hard work to get there. And the team had just worked so, so hard. And to be able to share it with all of them was wonderful. And so I look at that moment of where, you know, again, I I think as an editor and honestly, probably in any profession, it's really easy to sometimes put your blinders on and you're just doing the work and you forget sometimes that people are seeing it. And so it was that moment of being like, wow, people are seeing it. We're moving in the right direction. And I, I see that really much, very much as a turning point of where it was like, okay, all firing at all cylinders go, um, what else can we do and how much further can we push? And so, because I still think, you know, when um, it was announced in uh, the middle of last year that you were leaving and it still felt very much like it was firing on all cylinders as well, even with an industry changing um, all around it. But did you feel like you'd achieved all you could and, you know, and that's what you thought, okay, right, this is, this is the right next step for me? You never know, right? Um, I think that for a couple years before I left, I had already started thinking about what was next. I have been in publishing, oh gosh, more than 20 years. And had anyone said to me in those early days when I first chose journalism that I would one day be the editor-in-chief of Allure, I would be like, you are absolutely out of your mind. It was in so many different ways, such a dream job. And you know, it wasn't my first editor-in-chief job. I was also editor-in-chief of Nylon. Um, but to be on that sort of global stage with a brand like Allure and to be able to do what we did, I'm, I'm so incredibly proud of all of it. At the same time, I'm still pretty young. And so I've looked into the future and thought before, what happens after you're an editor-in-chief, right? Like there's not a really defined path. When I was first starting out, there was a very defined path within publishing. You rose up the ladder, you got an internship, you became an assistant, you became an assistant editor, da, 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 all the way to, if you're lucky, you become an editor-in-chief one day. The fact that I had already reached that, I was already kind of looking at, well, what's next? Um, and so I have always been such a huge fan of Netflix. I obviously have watched so many Netflix programs, um, but not just even a fan of the content, but I've also been a fan of the way that they speak to audiences in a really real and authentic way. Um, for example, the social media voice, I think, of Netflix has been studied pretty far and wide. And so when the opportunity arose to come to Netflix, I was so excited because to me, it just made so much sense that I often, when I'm thinking about a new role, ask myself two questions. So I ask one, what impact can I make? And so would I be excited to go there? And then two, I always want to know um, what can I actually learn there? And so that's been something relatively new. And I I do a lot of speaking to uh, college students and also people just starting out in publishing. And so I often say a lot of times when we're considering new roles, we think about you know, the salary, we think about title and stuff when we're younger. And I'm past that point now of where I really think about what can I learn someplace. And I almost equate it to graduate school, right? That you pay money to get your graduate degree because you want to go somewhere and learn something and and further your education. If we all started to look at opportunities and jobs as that also, but we're getting paid to learn something and to, to acquire new skills, it actually shifts the way that you look about so many different things. 
And so coming to Netflix has been so exciting because I truly have learned so many different things. Um, I'm doing still, you know, within the realm of editorial and publishing, but also have been introduced to this whole other view of entertainment and technology and other things. And so it's it's been really exciting. You've been there since, so July last year. So it's still quite early, I think. And also when you're, you know, you're moving into a, a business of that size. Um, but how are you planning to continue the the legacy that you have successfully implemented at Allure at Netflix? You know, as we've talked about, I think one of the things we were really successful with at Allure was celebrating communities and people who had been historically underrepresented. And so it's honestly, it's a big component of what I'm doing at Netflix too, um, just to create a sense of belonging for everyone. Uh, you know, as an Asian American woman, I think representation for me on so many different levels is, is incredibly important. So whether I'm at Allure or Netflix, I think that my passion for championing diverse voices um, has been truly the same. I've also, you know, like I said, I think in the past five years in particular, but, it's, you know, 10 years, I would say, we've seen this wonderful shift that's happening with storytellers um, across that entire ecosystem, like I've said. And so it's been great to join a company where a lot of this work, obviously, at Netflix has started long before my time. And so I'm incredibly proud of some of the programs that we have, like the Gold Program, the Future Gold um, Film Fellowship, and also some of our social sub-brands like Strong Black Lead, The Most, Contoto. I think that Netflix has been such a disruptor in a lot of different spaces. And so the fact that we are speaking to a lot of communities in such a really real, authentic, always-on way has been very cool to see. And it's honestly, it's one of the reasons that um, that drove me here, that I think that that work with DNI has been so important to my career that to be able to continue a lot of that here um, is, is really fabulous. Well, because I wanted to speak to that point as well, um, because you do some incredible work with the API community, um, well, with and for, um, and the launch of Netflix golden channels on Instagram um, and Twitter, which is, um, which obviously came very kind of quickly after your arrival there. Was that a plan kind of like set in place from the beginning? So I was a part of it. Um, it was actually a plan that happened before my time though. I think a lot of people were like, oh, that must be Michelle. And certainly I was involved in it, but I was actually even more proud that it was a move that the company was already making. Um, and to me, that just said a lot about uh, the culture and about what our priorities were. So Golden has been a wonderful launch. It's been so well-received by the community. Um, I think that my work in the API community has been something that's been relatively new, I would say in the past five years, where our community, there have been certain pockets of it, I think that have always been really good at organizing. There's certainly been Asian American activists um, for, for many, many decades. At the same time, I think as a larger community, we've been somewhat fractured and there hasn't been something that has really truly brought us together. And so in the past four years in particular, I've seen this incredible incredible, incredible movement of people getting together. And so on a bunch of different levels, whether it's, um, I'm in a bunch of different group chats <laughs> with people. And so that's the more sort of informal part of it, but on a more formalized part, I'm on the board at Gold House. I'm on the advisory council of Act to Change. I'm also on the board at Colorcom, um, which is a great organization for women of color in communications. Um, and so we now have these more formalized forums of getting together and trying to figure out how to make change in the world. It's been really 
interesting to see how our community has come together and also you know, thinking about the Netflix component of that, the fact that we can then speak to that audience in different ways and really celebrate the titles and the talent that we're looking at through the API lens has been, it's been a great extension. So with Netflix, what's it, I mean, what does your day-to-day look like? In my role right now, I oversee a lot of the platforms that might make up a traditional publisher, right? If you think about, um, we have print with our, our magazine called Q, which is gorgeous, gorgeous print publication. We have social media, uh, we have podcasts, we have our new digital destination to Doom, which is all about news and interviews, behind the scenes, deep dives, recaps, and other things to connect fans to titles. Um, And so looking across all those different things, as you can imagine, every day is totally different. Um, Sometimes I will do a deep dive into social media, talking about voice, talking about new video programming. Other days, it's completely focused on To Doom, which just launched a couple of months ago. And so that's been the other really cool part about this role has been, obviously, Netflix is a giant global company. At the same time, it is innovative and nimble enough that it's constantly moving and constantly shifting. And so the fact that already, I've only been here for about six and a half months, but we've launched something new and something huge into Doom it's really cool. And so a lot of times in publish, in more traditional publishing, that type of movement doesn't happen that fast. And so to be at a company where we can constantly be innovating and thinking about new things is, is really exciting. Now that you um, obviously have worked in magazines for years, how do you look at it from, I'm not saying it's the outside, because obviously you're still in it, but in a different way, how do you consume magazines and newspapers now? I have always been a consumer of so many different things. And so I don't think that my consumption of any of those things has changed. I think that one of the great skills of being an editor, and I still consider myself an editor, right? I'm an editor at heart, is that we're really good at understanding culture and having our finger on the pulse of the zeitgeist. And so you do that through consuming a lot of media. So whether it's on social media, like literally any single platform, I feel like I still am feeding that curiosity of always wanting to know what's going on and not just necessarily about entertainment. I want to know what's happening across all of culture. And so I, when I'm not in meetings and and doing other work, I feel like I'm constantly reading, constantly doing things. Um, I love looking at the publishing industry now and kind of, you know, being from, like you said, the outside in, there's been, I think, some panic in the publishing industry in the past five years of where we always see these headlines of there's layoffs, there's, um, you know, magazines closing and stuff. At the same time, if we think about the nature of content, it just has gone kind of everywhere, like brands and, and others, you know, so many people are launching content platforms. I think the opportunities are there. I actually think that there are more of them now. It's just that people have to broaden their lens as far as what they're looking at, because maybe publishing jobs are not going to be the exact same as same thing as they used to be. And so I always encourage people to learn other platforms. And if I were just starting out as a journalist now, I would consider myself to be more platform agnostic, that it's not just about the written word, but if you understand how to tell a story on video, if you understand how to tell a story on podcasts, if you understand social media and other things, you can tell stories on so many different platforms. And I think that's going to be the value of what publishing becomes, is that we have to become a bit more... um, you know, not necessarily specialists in any type of platform, which I actually view as a positive thing, because if you're a creative person, it's, it's an exciting thing to think about. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can't believe how many meetings I have a week about TikTok and the metaverse now, which I never, <laughs> thought, I never thought I would have. The other thing I think everybody will want to know is how do you actually consume Netflix? And what are you watching? <laughs> All day, every day, yeah. <laughs> except when I'm in meetings. Uh, I have definitely watched so much Netflix, um, but I did before too. And I've always been a big consumer of TV, film, everything. And so, you know, a lot of times I'll watch something where I know that it's going to be big for the company. And so obviously I want to, you know, get ahead and, and understand what everyone's talking about. At the same time, I also, like everyone, listen to conversation out there. Like my daughter got me into Singles Inferno before I watched it. Like I love getting recommendations from other people. And I think that working at Netflix definitely hasn't made me any different of a consumer. Um, it's just made me, I think, understand. It's, I think it's helped me identify some uh, films and also TV shows that maybe I would have missed before. Um, and so it's been an awesome, fun part of the job. And I sometimes, as I'm watching things, I'm like, I can't believe that it's my job to watch this. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you have the dream. I think all of us have really been kind of applying hard for that job too. We've really <laughs> been putting the research in. So, I mean, as you say, six, seven months in, what plans do you have? What, what, do, you, what do you feel is next for you? Well, I'm very excited about all the things that we're doing across all the platforms that I mentioned before. I think To Doom is really, really exciting to me also. The fact that we are starting something from scratch, basically, and creating this new digital platform. And so when I think about the future of what that could become, and especially on a global level too, that to me is incredibly, incredibly exciting. Can you just actually describe that for us about what the platform is? Yep. So To Doom is a digital destination. Um, it's all about entertainment on Netflix. We have incredible video there also, and it just launched less than two months ago. And so, like I said, I have launched websites before at other companies um, to do something within Netflix, though, and to do it at such a, a large scale of what I know that it's going to become is incredibly exciting. We've um, brought on an incredible staff of people to work on it. And so it's been very, very cool to kind of see something being born, you know, at this stage within this massive company of Netflix. Um, and so it's been it's been super exciting to work on. I think you've basically made me completely unproductive for the rest of the week while I do, <laughs> do my deep dive. And then finally, as a disruptor, who is your disruptor of 2022? I probably have a couple, but I would say Dolly Parton as <laughs> like a sort of unconventional answer, maybe. Um, it's funny because I don't know that Dolly would come up as a normal answer for a lot of people. Like she's as incredible icon, 76 years old. But when I think about what she has managed to do, even in the past couple of years, like obviously she got so much attention for helping to fund the COVID vaccine, obviously, which was incredible. But also there were just those recent headlines about how um, at Dollywood now she's starting to pay for all tuition costs for any of the employees who want to seek higher education. To me, she's someone who, even though she's been around for decades, she is constantly innovating and constantly pushing the envelope of her philanthropy, what else she can do for the world. It's very easy once you've been doing something for a long time to rest on your laurels and just kind of like get into this mode of, I'm just going to do the same thing over and over again. And the fact that she's constantly pushing is incredible. I think Dolly Parton should be the answer to every question. 
I agree. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. That was an absolute joy. Isn't that my day ending here and yours is just beginning? But um, yeah, that's that was a great way to finish. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kay. Thanks, everyone. The Disruptors was brought to you by Netaporte and Chalk and Blade, hosted by Netaporte's content director Alice Casely Hayford, and fashion director Kay Barron, produced by Rosie Stofer. The team at Netaporte was Katie Barrington as the senior editor, with casting by Annabelle Brog and Olivia Wakefield, and coordination by Erin Shanahan. The senior producer at Chalk and Blade was Laura Hyde, and the executive producer was Ruth Barnes. Original music and mixes were by Alexis Adimora. Enter the code DISRUPTORS at the checkout for 10% off your first Net-A-Porter order. T's and C's and exclusions apply. To make sure you hear all the episodes, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information, go to netaporte.com.